0: Welcome to Coach House Talks. Morning, everyone. It's nice to be back. It feels like I've been here not here for ages. A week away from you all, and it feels like a month. It's good to be back. Who's been watching the Olympics? Nobody. Yeah, you're allowed to put your hands up. You're allowed to respond. Nobody. Just one person watching the Olympics. The highlight show is the best thing, actually. The highlight show is good. I always love the Olympics because, obviously, well, it just brings back sad memories for me. What if? Yeah, I'm full of what ifs. What if I'd have carried on? What if I'd have kept swimming? What if? What if? So I want to look at what if today. What if? Okay, in our lives. So here's a, sta- here's a statement that was released this week. I started the year in a wheelchair, and I was not willing to end my Olympic campaign the same way. That was Katerina Johnson-Thompson, and she released an emotional statement after a heartbreaking Olympic hem withdrawal due to Achilles injury in the middle of the 200-metre track. There she is. And this is how the Daily Mail reported the sad withdrawal of Katerina from the Tokyo Olympics this week. Uh, In the studio, the debate raged between the commentators and the pundits. Should Katerina carry on and pursue a place in the next Olympics in three years' time in Paris? Does she have the mental capacity? Will her body physically be able to take the punishment? What if she decides to quit and then realise she was ready to compete again? What if she decides to compete but the body just isn't up to it? The Daily Mail quoted Katerina in their report In emotive scenes at the Olympic Stadium on Wednesday, Johnson Thompson uh, refused a wheelchair when she was stricken on the track. And there she is. And instead insisted on finishing under her own steam before withdrawing from the competition. She explained, I started the year in a wheelchair and I was not willing to end my Olympic campaign the same way. To make it to the line was a miracle. Not only to do that, but to be on my way to putting a decent score together is heartbreaking. I truly believed I was capable of winning a medal despite having up to half a year of missed training. So a whole lot of what ifs. What if she doesn't decide to compete again? What if her body's not up to it? Only she can make that decision, assess the facts, determine her mental and physical well-being and decide her outcome. Now there are plenty of other people who will be making the same kind of life-changing decisions on a daily basis. And we're all included in that. Not necessarily from a sporting standpoint, but it may be a career decision, an academic choice, or even a life change due to changing health. It may even be in relation to 16 months of COVID and restrictions. All these are valid, but surely the biggest what if is that of our eternal destination now many will tell you that although we have so many choices available to us choosing our destiny is not one of them there are plenty of scriptures contained in the bible to base this on but equally there are just as many to make the opposing view that the eternal destination is one of our choosing we choose to reject we choose to go our own way So unfortunately, whilst having a good theology matters, it can surely detract from the most crucial point and the most crucial question that we need to ask ourselves. Where is your final destination gonna be? Now, having a holiday has been a good opportunity for me to step back and rest and to recharge and get ready. But get ready for what? I read an interesting article by Adam Ramsey, an Australian pastor, who was trying to balance the tension between Christians who base all of their theology on the written word and the ability to interpret and apply with complete authenticity God's word today. And those who prefer an experiential theology based on the leading of the Holy Spirit and often heartfelt emotion. Now I've long argued that the complete Christian life is determined by a healthy balance of both views. We need to know the scripture, but also we need to have a living relationship with God through the Holy Spirit by which we can understand and enjoy our Christian life. After all, as Ramsey states, a sharp mind with a cold heart is as big a fail as a heart radically on fire about nonsense. Okay? A sharp mind with a cold heart is just the biggest fail there's a heart radically on fire about nonsense. Now, I've seen both camps, and I'm sure you have as well. Those that just say, no, scripture is the final authority, which it is, but they then try and force everything in scripture into today's society, into today's life. And they have no understanding at all that God's Holy Spirit can lead you today. But on the other side, there are those that just rely on the Holy Spirit and heart feelings and everything else, and they don't have any attention at all to the balance that we must have from scripture because God never acts outside of himself. And God has revealed to us how he acts. He's revealed his character, he's revealed who he is. So the Holy Spirit is not gonna do something opposed to what scripture says. Hence we have to have a healthy balance. And it's interesting that Jesus himself gives us the heads up that these two opposing stances need moderation and understanding. So let's read for ourselves in Mark chapter 12 from verse 28. So there's been big debate going on between the Sadducees and uh, various religious leaders. There's been loads of comment, loads of asking Jesus questions, and this teacher of the law has been kind of listening into all of this. And so he ends up, he goes, I'm I'm ready for my question now. I'm ready to come into this debate. I've been listening on the sidelines. Now it's my turn to ask Jesus a question. He says this, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate and he realised that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and all of your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, well said, teacher. Can you imagine that to Jesus? Well said. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other and I know it is important to love him with all of my heart and all of my understanding and all of my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. I mean, this guy's got it pretty well ticked off. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind all of your strength. And Jesus ends this question and answer session with the teacher of the law concluding this in verse 34. Realising, this is Jesus, realising how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. He's good Jesus, isn't he? I love the way he replies to things. But the answer to this man is so true in so many different ways. You are not far from the kingdom of God. I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know. You're not far. You're not there, but you're not there. You're not far away, but you're not there. You're not far from the kingdom of God could imply that the teacher of the law, the teacher of the law was in, good, in a good position with his understanding of scripture, but that he was falling short and that he was missing some vital information and his quest for knowledge was somehow incomplete. In other words, he knows all this stuff but he's missing something. Or that the access point to the kingdom of God was literally a yard away. But the inability to let the heart respond above the head knowledge was enough to miss the obvious. Either way, the missing info created a huge what if for this teacher of the law. What if he could understand that Jesus was the way? You see, we know that the only way to eternal life is through Jesus. Only Jesus was able to pay the price that God demanded as a sin offering. In itself, this tells us something rather obvious. It's something we can't do ourselves. We're incapable of satisfying God ourselves. Therefore, God has to provide the necessary gateway for us to enter in. Specifically, Jesus, as we are told in John's Gospel in chapter 10, Jesus refers to himself as the gateway. Now, how many of you have heard of Pascal, famous French philosopher? Pascal's wager, and Johnny will have heard about this because Johnny will have done stuff like this, and Steve went... Pascal's wager goes like this, basically. He's a French philosopher and theologian. And he argued that a man bets with his life as to whether God exists or not. So this is a famous conundrum. that I found myself using this, actually, when I've been speaking to non-Christians. <laughs> I didn't realise this is what it was and where it came from. Basically, it goes like this. A rational person should live as though God exists and seek to believe in God. You see, if God does not exist, then they will have only a finite loss when they die. Maybe some pleasures or treasures that they've missed out on. Whereas if God does exist, then he stands to receive infinite gains, i.e. eternity in heaven. Now I've used this argument with somebody, I remember being in the police having a t- chat with somebody who a, was a bodyguard actually or one of these door guards. And I was chatting to her, and, I was, and he was going, no, no, God doesn't exist, there's no such thing as God, blah, 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 blah. And I just went, well, listen, I do believe there's a God, and I'm gonna live my life as though there is a God. And if at the end of the day, when I die, I'm wrong, then what have I lost? Not a great deal. However, you on the other hand, who are standing there saying there is no God, When you die and you find there is a God, what have you lost? And I use this argument in order to try and gain people to the Lord. And it's Pascal's argument. It's a clever argument. And it's one that I suspect the teacher of the law was also betting on. I live my life well. I do all the things I should do. I do what the law says. If I live by the rules, I gain eternity. The actual truth is that mankind is incapable of satisfying a holy God and needs to rely on God's grace and mercy to rescue him. Jesus was sent as an ultimate rescuer to redeem or pay for our guilt and sin and restore us to God and eternity with him. There is no other way. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life no one can come to the Father except through me. See, the stupidity of man is shown in this rejection of such a rescue package. Many of you know that I was rescued by the the RNLI. I nearly wore my RNLI T-shirt this morning. And it's a bit like me, struggling in the sea, knowing that I'm at the end of my life, that there's nothing else I can do, and then the RNLI turns up in their lifeboat, and the helicopter in my case to pull me from certain death and then me going, no, no, I don't need you. Go away. That would be stupid, wouldn't it? So let's get this straight. There is no way to the Father except through the provision of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. His sacrifice paid for sin and he rescues us from eternity in hell which is the reserved place for all unrighteousness and sin. It is the absence of life and the very essence of death. And all mankind is heading this way, regardless of our good intentions and works. As Alice Cooper writes and sings in one of his songs, the road to hell is littered with nice guys with good intentions. What counts is righteousness. And only a faith in God creates righteous acts. It was faith that was counted as righteousness in the Old Testament, following God's designs and intentions to create a rescue plan for mankind. All the heroes of faith listed in Hebrews, which we go to time and time again, don't we? They all had righteousness counted to them for the faith in God as they looked forward to the provision of of the promised rescuer. So back in time before Jesus came, they looked forward and their faith was counted to them as righteousness because they did what God had asked them to do whilst they waited for their rescuer. And their faith was in that. But what if any of them had decided to give up? You see, they're listed because they didn't. They persevered. They kept their faith in God's promises. And for us, we live in the light of God's provision of Jesus. And it is our faith in the promised Messiah and Rescuer which provides our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. He covers us. We look back and we see what Jesus, that Jesus fulfills all of God's promises. So the Old Testament heroes, they look forward to the promise but their faith is in that promise we look back and we can see that Jesus fulfilled those promises and we accept him as our saviour and he covers us with his righteousness. As Paul put it when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus paid all of that for us. So it's not of us at all. It is 100% holy, God's provision of righteousness through faith and our acceptance of that sacrifice. On most occasions, this fact is also, also coupled with an instruction to keep on, to persevere in this faith. We are covered, but our behaviour should reflect a new way of living. The Holy Spirit modifies our behaviour and becomes the proof of God's wonderful hope placed in us. All of the Old Testament heroes and countless others are willing us on to keep going, to remain in the faith of God's provision. Jesus is God's response to man's disobedience and rejection. So let's just return to Katarina Johnson-Thompson. The question she's left with is this. Does she persevere? Does she overcome her present failure and distress and determine to strive on for Olympic glory in three years' time? She may decide that it's simply just too much to ask. And while she was determined to finish the race this week under her own steam, she may also conclude that she can no longer keep going. And whilst we are also faced with similar days, weeks and possibly longer, periods of failure and heartache, questioning our frailty and inability to reach the levels that we would like to attain, the reality is that God has given us all that we need to make it. Faith in Jesus, not trusting our own strengths and ambitions is what gives us the ultimate prize, eternity in heavenly reward, is the ultimate goal for us. We strive to keep hold of our faith in Jesus, and when we do, His righteousness defends our failure. You said this morning that sometimes we feel a little bit, kind of though, so, what well, you know, what we need more. Is this it? sometimes we do feel like failures. The failures get on top of us. The times that we let God down get on top of us. Our frailties get on top of us. When we fail, Jesus' righteousness defends our failure. He died for it. He He died to defend you. He died to bring you back to God. And when we fail his righteousness defends that failure however we assess how we stand today make sure that our understanding of what is required is rooted in biblical truth and let the emotion of the heart provide the experience of the one that we've been created to worship it's like the rocket fuel it's like we're born to praise we're born to just worship God And we have everything we need to know about God. We have everything that we can understand God by. And the Holy Spirit and our heartfelt responses to him is like rocket fuel that allows us to worship him fully in our very being, in the circumstances that we find ourselves. Without Jesus, there is no hope of forgiveness of sin and eternity with God. Only the certainty of death and eternal destruction. Pascal's wager is simplistic in its argument, but I feel it's flawed in its conclusion. Only Jesus provides our security and certainty. As this man in the scripture that we read about understood and saw, and Jesus replied to him, yeah, you've done all of those things, you've done everything, and you're close to finding the way but you're close is not good enough because when Jesus the gateway that God has insisted on being the provision for you is stood right there and he's missing it, he's missing it. So what if your life was demanded today? What if you met God today? Where would your final destination be? It's never too late to change your future by accepting the gift that God gives us to reconcile us to himself. It's never too late for any of us. You see, Jesus perfects us and he also perfects our future. Our future is perfect with Jesus alone. You can go as much as you like. Katerina Johnson, she strolled over that line this week. She hobbled over it. She insisted on crossing the finishing line because that was her Olympic dream. That's what she'd work towards. What we work towards is something much greater. It's much more certain. The choice at the end of life is either eternity with God or eternity without God. Hell itself. And we are left with that decision to make. All of us. Many years ago, I chose to give up swimming. I chose to give up my Olympic dream. And I watched my second, if you like, my standing, swimming in the Olympics that I should have been in because I chose to give up. I can't be bitter about it. I can't look back at it and go, I wish. I can ask what if, but those choices I made. Jesus demands choice from us to either accept his sacrifice or reject it and we can't afford to stand there when our life is asked of us and go what if I'd made another choice what if I'd taken Jesus on as my saviour, what if Jesus perfects us and he perfects our future don't let it go begging. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.